how long does it take me to get ready? Oh, man. How's everybody? Yeah, it's cold out there. You made it. You made it. It's, it's really good to be here uh, this morning. I've been looking forward to this uh, time for a while. We had a good break as a family. Um, if this is your, your first time with us, or if, you know, um, you've been with us for a long time, just glad you're here. You know, just really excited that you're here. Uh, Sundays in Cornerstone are time for us to gather around God's word as we pursue being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus, and making disciples of Jesus. And I want to take just a minute and uh, briefly tell you some of the things that we are looking forward to this semester. So as Matt talked about um, earlier, and um, what Grace talked about in Corners, we are diving into the book of Romans, like the whole semester. Um, Next week, we're probably going to meet, I don't know, maybe another hundred or so students at Winterfest. Um, Right now, we've got three students who are pursuing internships uh, with us, with our organization, and they're getting trained to raise support. And Isaiah and Madison are hoping to work uh, at LT over the summer in Estes Park, Colorado, and Sarah hopes to do a semester-long internship starting in the fall uh, next year with us. And uh, also, next week is our annual Women's Overnighter, and in a couple of weeks, too, you can hear about the just the amazing work my coworkers do in this job of being on staff. You can hear about, you know, our hope and our, our prayers and our dreams of making more laborers and planting more churches. 25 of us are headed to Memphis over spring break for alternative spring break, and we're going to probably do some roofing, um, doing some roofing in, uh, on homes over spring break. Speaking of Memphis, you know, we've got tomorrow, you already heard it, but and if you get, get a chance to go to uh, Hewitt Mann to watch the movie and have that discussion. Um, also, some of you are in the assessment to go to our uh, leadership training program in Estes Park. It's an 11-week 11 uh, week opportunity uh, out there in Estes Park, Colorado for the whole summer. And this is in full swing, kind of the application assessments in full swing with 13 other campuses. So, man, if you're like, I'm thinking about it, you should probably get in and start the assessment. And we are also coming off of last semester. Do you guys remember last semester? It was like, yeah, barely, huh? Yeah, we're coming off a semester where we're just celebrating that God is changing lives. And God has just been, he's been so faithful and, and we, over the past couple of years, have made a couple of organizational changes. Uh, after we planted a church at Colorado State, we saw we need to change some things up. And, and we've watched God even surpass some of, you know, the, the goals that we implanted, uh, that we desired, that we prayed for. God has kind of surpassed those. We've seen by faith that people are being rooted in the gospel, that the gospel is going out, that you students are, are responding to the hope that's in Jesus. You're being firmly rooted in a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're, we're just ready to add something. And so starting this semester, we really want to establish a regular, as a church, as a community, a regular, sustained, weekly prayer time for this community, for ISU, Wesleyan, Heartland, whatever campus you're on that God would do some incredible things. And so the staff have been praying together. We, we pray for you guys, whoever writes in a prayer request, every Tuesday, we're just in prayer for you guys and prayer for the campus. Matt and I have been praying together weekly for a long time, pleading that God would do incredible things and lead us. Um, and we don't want you to miss out. And so we want to establish a weekly sustained prayer time. And we want to see what God is going to do in and through you and through your prayers. So if you're interested in helping to get this going, you know, just text me and just say, I want in. Or if you don't have my number, just come and talk to me and say, I, I, want, to, I want to do that with you guys. I want to do that. So just find me afterwards. Okay? All right. So here we are. Now, I've been waiting like months to open up the scriptures with you kind of walking into the semester, and all semester long here on Sundays, we're going to be diving into the book of Ephesians, and we're going to go through it piece by piece. But before we begin, let's come to God with confidence. He hears us. 
in humility, in prayer. Would you guys pray with me? Father in heaven, we exalt you, Lord. We look to you, God. We are dependent on you. God, would you speak? God, would you speak a message to our lives about hope? Lord, the gospel message is a message about the life or death of our soul. Lord, would it be life? God, you are a good father. You want, your heart is to do good to everyone gathered here. Would my friends experience you as that good father as we walk through your word? Would it nurture us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So this letter to the Ephesians, it's roughly about 2,500 words. It is unique amongst all of the letters that Paul has written. Some will, when you come to it and you read it, you'll, you'll say, like others, maybe that it feels rather impersonal compared to his other letters. Because it contains no personal greeting. Nobody's mentioned by name. And so I just want to give you some background about the book of Ephesians before we get into it. That book in his letter, it contains no identified heresy or false teaching that Paul is refuting as we see it in his other letters. Instead, he's very generic in his greeting. He's very broad in his scope. And Paul is writing to a group of churches in and around the area of Ephesus, which is not a modern city. It's an ancient city. It's now in, it would be in, found in, uh, in western Turkey, right on the Mediterranean. And Ephesus during that time was a major port city during the Roman rule. And in this letter, we read of God's great love, his great election of his saints. We read about Christ's death and resurrection and the Spirit's ordinary work amongst men and women. And Paul addresses this letter to, he says, to the saints in Ephesus. He, call, he calls them saints. In mind, in his mind, he has he has. The, the purpose and the kind of the people who receive it are people who have surrendered their life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that word saint, don't let it trip you up. It simply means holy one. It means called or set apart for a purpose. Therefore, anyone who has trusted or placed faith in Christ is a saint from that perspective. And that whole phrase, in Christ, You'll see it several times over this, this semester and several times even today. And here, Paul is identifying that these people, indeed you and me, if we follow Jesus, they, what he's saying is you're, you're in Christ, but you're a citizen with Jesus in, in God's heavenly kingdom, and yet we are also citizens of two kingdoms. Because he writes to those in Christ in Ephesus. And so, so we live both in Christ and in this world. And, and sometimes it's our simple failure to recognize this distinction that causes so much turmoil in our everyday lives. See, for, for some of us, we tend to pursue Jesus and we, you know, in doing so, we withdraw from the world. Or we become so preoccupied with the world our future, our jobs, a spouse, our politics, our, our money, our flesh, our wants, our wants. And we forget that we are in Christ. And so Paul, in this letter, he has in mind the, the power and sovereignty of God to the recipients of this letter who lived in and around, listen, one of the richest regions of the Roman Empire. Ephesus would be, I don't know, it was a desired destination. Like going to New York or L.A. It was a cosmopolitan and multi-ethnic. And, and just outside the city walls was the temple to the goddess Artemis or Diana. You see, no one could miss this temple. The size and, and grandeur of it caused the ancients to praise it as one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a staggering four times larger 
than the Parthenon in Athens. It had columns that went up 60 feet high. And the height of those columns speaks to the height of the influence that this goddess had on the life of the people. Annual Olympic Games were held just like in Athens in honor here in that city for Artemis where the estimated population was about 200,000 people. Artemis was acclaimed and honored as Queen of Heaven. She was called Lord. She was called Savior. And you see magic and kind of folk belief, it dominated the landscape of the recipients of this letter. In particular, you can see, and you can mark this in Acts 19, it records that the church there in Ephesus was caught up in these these mystical, magical practices. And Luke records this event that caused great conviction and fear in the church. See, in Acts 19, the church was gripped uh, by the Spirit of God. And the church members, what they did is they, they, they they were so grieved, so grieved their idolatry, that they took all of their magical texts, all their scrolls, all the codexes that they had, and they publicly burned them. And it states that the value of these books, don't miss this, the value of the books burned was equivalent to 50,000 days wages. 50,000. 50,000 days. That's a staggering amount of money. And when the church did that, the report is the church began to grow rapidly through this act of repentance. And hearing of their faith, then Paul writes and addresses them in this very wide scope of topics, as you see, that are still relevant today. Here are some of the things he addresses. The issue of, the div- of divine sovereignty and free will, gender roles in marriage, ra- ra- racial reconciliation, either the basis and call for ecumenical unity or unity amongst the universal church, the nature of spiritual power, spiritual formation, spiritual warfare, assimilation of new believers and training for ministry, the local church and missions, intercessory prayer for the Christian life. I mean, these are some of the major themes that he hits on. And the letter itself, it divides, um, it, it dives into the kind of the richness of God's particular redeeming love through the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It tells us that this sacrificial death of Christ for sin means that he is seated high above everything, everything that competes in your life and my life, but fails to offer any life. Jesus is above that, and he offers a full, rich life for us. It tells us about how through Christ, we who believe are nothing less than God's new society. A single, new humanity that includes Jews and Gentiles, diverse ethnicities, races, all on equal terms with one another. And this gospel is lived out through a common worship and is demonstrated uh, publicly and visibly through our unity and mutual submissiveness to one another. And the late uh, John Stott breaks down these themes into four movements which I thought were particularly helpful he says Ephesians about this is about this new life, new society, new standards, new relationships. It's about new life, new society, new standards, new relationships. And so with that background, let's go ahead and start and dive in and begin working our way through the book of Ephesians, discovering what God has to say to us individually and corporately as we let the, the word of God speak to us. uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's a lot, huh? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This would be a typical greeting during the New Testament times. Um, grace and peace, then somehow they, they, uh, they, they, they kind of are major themes. They become these, these handholds as major themes in this letter that summarize the good news that Paul is proclaiming to us. God's grace, grace through Christ, it brings, brings peace that meets not only our inner life, but it transforms our world. Grace and peace, they form for Paul and for us. In one sense, it's a summary of announcing what this letter is about. You see, the grace that Paul is speaking about here and in his, in his other letters, grace is a very strong relational term. It's often used to speak of God's loving kindness. It's used to speak of God's covenant that he makes with us and his covenant faithfulness to us. Not only to fulfill that covenant as an obligation, but to do it with a, a heart of abundant love. And so Paul opens up this letter and he's focused on grace and peace of Jesus. And then it's like, I mean, you heard Isaiah talk about it, right? It's like he can't stop talking about Jesus. And so in the next 12 verses in the Greek, it constitutes one complex sentence without a break. It's as, if, it's as if he opens up and he's thinking about Jesus and then he just can't stop praising him. And it just kind of, it just spills out. He just says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in every, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's, what he's saying, he's saying that Jesus, you are Lord, not, not Diana, not Artemis. And praise the Father, praise the Son. Everything that I have, it comes from him. And these blessings are found in Christ. In Christ. Those who trust in Christ. Those who trust in Jesus are in him. Being in him, it means that all of the covenant promises that are secured and guaranteed through him become yours. It's in Christ that we have, he says, every spiritual blessing. That God has poured out his spirit. And in this new covenant... He makes, it, he makes with us, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He's saying that the spirit that is now in my life, it means everything. It transforms how I live, how I think, how I act. It helps me have the right perspective on earthly things. The point that Paul is making here is that all the things of God, if we are to have any blessings that God intends for us to have, they all come through a new relationship by virtue of being in Christ. This is the most important passage here. These are the most important words here and in your life. For me, you know, I once belonged to Adam. You know, I once belonged and participated in this long history of his sin and the sentence of death that it brings. But when I turned from that at 19 and I trusted Christ, I was brought into relational union with Jesus. Because being in Christ is not just one factor of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. Being in union with Jesus is the gospel. It is the thing. And we can read that verse and we can miss that this grace, every spiritual blessing that comes in, in, in Christ, we can miss the relational pull and content that's there. We can think of the gospel in merely transactional terms. 
like this transaction that happens when I have faith. Because, and it does, that does happen. But, but when you get forgiveness and God gives you mercy and he comes, the, the reason why you get forgiveness, the reason why you need God's mercy is not for mercy's sake. It's not for forgiveness sake. There's not some quotient that needs to be filled. We need all of those things because without those things, we wouldn't be in union with Jesus. We wouldn't be in relationship with him. You see, what we get in the gospel is God. That's who we get. And so union with Jesus, this is the, this is the big deal. And so in Christ, there's this new identity that, that we have, a new self-understanding. It's based on a new relationship, which... Whether we fully get it or not, it saturates every single aspect of life. So in Christ, when Paul talks about being in Christ, it's the beginning of this life transformation. In verse 4, he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In essence, what Paul is doing is he's stretching his mind here all the way, all the way back, all the way. And he's carrying that phrase in Christ, saying in him, before the foundation of the world, in him, before we even existed, God had in his mind a proposal and he determined to make us his children. And this was a definite decision. This was something that God decided to do. Why? Because of his love for us. Verse 5, it says, in, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In the language here, it strongly communicates, listen, it strongly communicates that God is in control of everything. That's what it means to be sovereign. It means that he's in charge of everything. And the church has commonly referred this to this as the doctrine of election. And, and some people are really tempted to key in on this and to try to figure it out. A lot of ink has been spilled over this. And the more I've read, the more I've studied, the more I can tell you this. I don't have all the answers. I don't think anyone can. Uh, but I think what Paul is revealing to us here in this is a mystery that God has chosen to reveal to us the way that he works for some reason. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. But it is. It is. How does it all work? I don't know. John Stott says it best when he says, the doctrine of election is divine revelation, not human speculation. What does it mean? Simplified? I think it means that God seeks you out. The biblical narrative, we see this all through the scriptures, is that we turned away from him and that God chooses Abraham. God chooses Moses. God chooses the people. God in love, it says, before the foundation of the world, planned for some reason, for his purposes, to seek me out. But at the same time, listen, it is also true that those in Christ Choose God. I decided to trust Christ, and I did so freely. But I did so because God in love awakened me to my need in the gospel. So there's a theological issue of working through this, but here's the pastoral issue. Here's what I want you to hear. I don't know who will eventually trust Christ. Nobody knows that. But God has given his son and this message to be used to awaken people's hearts. And I don't know how it all works together. But I do know this. That God demonstrates his love for us. He shows us his love through Jesus. And he calls each of us to turn from ourselves to him for forgiveness. And if you are hearing this and you understand this, then it requires a response. It requires a response. See, the issue 
isn't, did God seek me out? That's not the question. Did, did God seek me out? The issue is, did I respond to the gospel message? And if this message, if this message, when it is received, man, it changes everything in life. And here Paul is saying, as he's going on in this long sentence, just praising God, he's saying that in love through the gospel, God sought us out for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And being, listen, being a daughter, being a daughter is, being, being a daughter of God is way different being a friend of God, right? Because here's, this is pretty, this will make sense, right? You might be my friend, right, Jess? You're my friend, but chances are I'm going to pay for my own kid's car insurance, not yours, right? right? We get this on a human level. You're like, why not, man? You got money. I know you do. Right? We, we get this on a human level, right? Sonship, adoption, it's pretty awesome. I want to take a minute and just introduce uh, to you my friend, Stephanie, through an interview that I did with her this week. I met Stephanie when she was a freshman at ISU, and uh, I asked her for some time, and uh, this is what we talked about. Hi. Hey, thanks for agreeing to do this little interview with me. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, so we are talking about um, ad- adoption, and we're walking through the book of Ephesians, and one of the themes that comes up is that God calls us um, in, to be a part of his family, and so implicit is there is this idea and theme uh, of adoption, and it uh, made me think of you and some of your journey, um, but as way of introduction, i got a couple questions for you. You ready? Sure. Great. Um, tell us a little bit about um, your journey uh, with Christ when you were here at ISU. Yeah, so when I came to ISU, I was a new Christian at the time, and um, so Cornerstone was just a huge and vital part of um, you know my walk as a believer, and it was a, yeah, just like really a great way for me to grow and um, learn how to. Um, love God and obey God. And um, during my time at ISU, I was able to be a corner leader and go to LT and um, even see one of my friends from high school um, give her life to Christ. So it was just, yeah, really sweet. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you're married to Brad. So where did you guys meet and how long have you guys been married? Yeah, we met at ISU. We started dating our sophomore year. And then we both um, graduated and got married in May 2016. So, um, yeah, within that month, we graduated, got married, and then moved to Des Moines. So it's kind of crazy. It's <laughs> a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what are you uh, currently, um, and when you moved to Des Moines, then you got your foster, uh, your license to be a foster parent. Um, what were some of the things that led you guys down the path of becoming foster parents? Yeah, so um, when we were dating, Brad and I both had sort of a mutual interest in adoption. Um, God, yeah, just grew that in our hearts over the years. And um, one really impactful thing was one of our friends had become a foster parent. And she just shared with us the um, great need and all the uh, just trauma and challenges that kids in foster care go through. And um, so, yeah, at that time, God just really placed on our hearts to pursue foster care and um, instead of trying to have our own biological children, really just invest um, our family into those kids. That's awesome. So uh, tell us a little bit about Ari and his sister. Um, yeah, so we um, we brought Ari home when he was only five, five days old. Ari's our son. Um, he, yeah, was five days old when we brought him home, and then um, we got to adopt him last February, so about a year after he came to our house. And um, then that same week, we actually brought home his sister, and um, she was newborn as well. 
Um, and so we are kind of in the process right now of adopting her. It should probably be in the next six months that um, it'll all be official. That's awesome. Um, so you're, you're a parent now. And I know that when yeah. I became a parent, uh, I kind of experienced God's heart in a new way as, as I became, you know, a parent and a, and a father, kind of understanding God's fatherliness to me. And I'm just wondering how have you experienced kind of God's heart for you as a father now that you're a parent? Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, that I've learned about God in being a parent is just how much he loves us and how much... I can trust him. Um, your question reminded me of a story of a time over the summer. Um, I had told Ari that I wanted to make him a peanut butter sandwich. And um, so normally the peanut butter sandwich supplies are in the kitchen. Um, but that day I had packed up my um, supplies in my backpack. And so I went into a different room to get it. Um, and immediately he just started sobbing and like just totally lost it. Um, and it was just so funny because he was thinking, you just told me you're going to make me a sandwich and you're not going to the kitchen. Like you lied to me. Um, but in, in reality, I was going to make him a sandwich. And so it was just like, I think in my heart, I just really felt like, oh my gosh, like I'm your mom. Like I told you I was going to do this. Of course I'll do it. You know, just trust me. Um, and I think I really related just with, um, times that, yeah, God makes promises to me and that I can doubt them or, or feel like it's not going the way I expected it to go. Um, and yeah, it's just like really, um, yeah, just one really big way that I've connected with the Lord and even just seeing like, um, times when I ask Ari to do something or, um, yeah, just like have his interest in mind. And often that those are not things he wants to do, um, to obey and to listen, but that it's always for his best interest. And, um, yeah, just in the same way, like when God asks me to do something, um, it doesn't always feel good. It's not easy. Um, but it's what's best for me mm -hmm. and God really loves me. And, um, yeah, he just, he just really wants, um, to guide me in my life. And I think those are just, yeah, just really mind blowing things that I've experienced in parenting. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, 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 uh, it's funny how a little thing like a peanut butter sandwich where we're like, God, you're not, you're, I asked for a peanut butter sandwich and, <laughs> and he delays or he, he's just doing something in our life that is always going to be good for, for, for us. And, uh, mm -hmm. what a, what a great story. Um, another couple questions for you. Um, how, how has the process of adoption, um, now that you've adopted Ari and are in the process of adopting, um, his biological sister, which will be your daughter soon. Um, how has that process impacted your understanding of God adopting you into, into his family? Yeah, I think the the greatest um, connection that I've made um, in my own journey of adopting um, is just really understanding, um, yeah, the gravity of God's um, loss of his son, Jesus, on the cross. Um, there was a period of time in our process of adopting Ari that, uh, um, you know, we were taking care of him, raising him, um, you know, with him every single day but really didn't have the certainty that we were going to be able to adopt him. Um, he still could have gone back with his family at that time. Um, and at times it was extremely hard and extremely painful to think like, I'm raising this child and I love him so much. And he might like, I might, I might lose him one day. Um, and I, I think just, yeah, understanding that God, did lose his son. Um, and it was for my sake. I think that was, yeah, just mind blowing for me. Um, and just to realize the honor, um, yeah, that, that means, you know, just that he loves me so much that he would be willing to go through that, um, suffering and that pain. Um, I think even though it was really hard to go through that, um, it was also very sweet and it really helped me connect with God's heart and, um, yeah, just see the gospel in a new way. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it kind of the, 
firsthand experience of the lengths that God has gone through to claim you as his own, that fear of losing him, um, uh, just put on, you know, just displayed your own heart and desire to have that relationship with him and continue to care for him. That would yeah. be sweet. Um, so you might, you know, we're just wrapping up here and you might not care what teams are in the Super Bowl at all or who's going to win. <laughs> but uh, what is the Sunday after the Super Bowl in Cornerstone? Um, I believe it's Cheesecake Sunday. Yeah, I wish you were here to celebrate <laughs> with us, but it will be Cheesecake Sunday. Uh, all right, Stephanie, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing your heart and a little bit of your journey with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. So I thought the dub version of that was better than, than the actual version. <laughs> I felt like watching Godzilla or something. Um, what is what is your peanut butter sandwich circumstance right now in your life you can trust God with? What is it? See, adoption is just Unbelievable that God, the God of heaven, uses that to tell us what a great position we have in him. He, Paul says we are adopted. Why? Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he, blessed, which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Christ. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. (laughs) Paul's like, we have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Don't miss the heart of this. So we have redemption and forgiveness and grace and wisdom and insight. And at the same time, we have relationship. We've been brought into this relationship of adoption through Christ. And it's like Paul just can't stop talking about it. You see, God as Father is meant to be this relationship of love and care and just an an intimate protection. And, and, and God gave us his son, and Stephanie talked about that. And he did it, he did it, listen, because he loves you. And, and Paul continues, he's like, not only did he do that for me, but he did that for us. His language, he says, he blessed us. We have redemption. He lavished his love on us. There's, in Paul's writing, there's this collectiveness that the gospel is not just merely personal, But it's a thing. It's not just something about bringing personal peace or a private thing. Because the gospel is meant to saturate and soak into and affect everything that is broken in society. We are broken. Our lives are broken. Our relationships are broken. The planet is broken. And this taint of sin, this thread kind of weaves in and out. It has gone everywhere, but the gospel is so pervasive. Why? Because a rupture has taken place in all creation that God wants to settle. In verse 10 he says, as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things In him, in Christ, things in heaven, things on the earth. There is a cosmic renewal. Paul begins with, we, I have forgiveness, we have forgiveness. And that that everything is moving towards, the whole universe is moving towards this coming renewal. J.B. Lightfoot, he writes of the entire harmony of the universe, which shall no longer contain alien and discordant elements, but of which all parts shall find their center and bond of union in Christ. 
You see, the new life God has given individuals, it's expected from that, that we are in Christ. We're in this new society, and our lives are transformed, and it just flows into the becoming a new community where we are united, not divided. Otherwise, we would think that we, would, we misunderstood the gospel where there's division. But the gospel, what it does is it points to the plight of humanity and this all-encompassing solution that God has in Christ. Verse 11 says, in him. Again, Paul's just pointing everything back to Jesus. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so Paul's ending this really long sentence anticipating this full scope of reconciliation. He says, you know, we Jews, we, we were the first, but you Gentiles, you also, you see, God brings you also into relationship through Jesus Christ. Paul says, we had first, we, we had Jesus first, and then you were included, and now this is our inheritance through union with Jesus, the people of God become one, and he will elaborate on this theme. We're going to see, pick this back up in the second chapter. This idea of reconciliation. And he makes it clear in verse 13 that when you hear the word of God, when you hear the good news, which is called the gospel of your salvation, he says, you believed, you trusted and God adopts you and puts his mark of ownership on you. He, sealed, he puts a seal on you, in you, the Holy Spirit. In Christ means, Paul says, <laughs> God gives you his spirit. It, it's his claim on you. And, and you did nothing to merit this. You didn't earn it. This means, listen, there is, there is nothing in your life, nothing that you could ever do to lose his favor because it's not merited. This is the definition of grace. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You simply heard and trusted. You did nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to lose it. But I want you to hear this too. God made his children. He calls his children into adoption to the praise of his glorious grace. Adoption into God's family implies responsibility. You see, the old life and its ways, they come into just violent collision when you become a son or a daughter. And being in Christ, God wipes away the rot that is in your life. And he installs in you himself as the source of new values and new ideal, ideals and new desires that are found here when we open up the pages of this book. Why? Because God's people are God's possession who live by God's will and for God's glory. God's people are God's possession, who live by God's will and for God's glory. And so what can we walk away? What can we walk away this morning with? First, here, I want you to hear this. Ephesians gives us clarity on what does it mean to be a Christian. Ephesians gives us clarity on what it means to be a Christian. Because becoming a Christ follower, it happens when you hear the good news. When you hear the gospel of salvation, when you hear about who Jesus is. And your soul knows and longs and hopes for forgiveness. And you respond. You see, until that happens, 
nothing changes. Until that happens, nothing changes. Yeah, I mean, guys, you can come and you can, you know, you can make some good friends in a church community. You can start doing things that look like you belong, but all of that is external. Remember, Jesus came and he died and he rose again in order to meet the deepest need of your heart that no external work could ever do. And so without hesitation, if, man, if, he is, if you're listening to me and, and, and Jesus is standing right now holding out grace and peace to you, and you're wondering what to do, take it. Turn away from trying to find life value in other things. Those things are empty. Turn to your father. Turn to Christ who wants to adopt you and bring you into his family and to make everything new. Secondly, because there is one sovereign God who is unfolding his plan throughout all creation, it means that he is intimately involved in your life. And you can fully trust him. You know, maybe you're here and you submitted your life to Christ. Some of you did that this past year or last year. When you were 19, when you were seven, but as you look at your life, and there's something that is just right now is just overwhelming you, and you're just staring down the road at something that is challenging, there's a difficulty in your life. Maybe you've experienced a loss in a relationship, a friend. Maybe it's a father who is less than what you need him to be. And the temptation is to just run from it. And you just run from that stuff. You, you just, you just, you stuff the pain. And Paul wants us to have these words because maybe you're looking at a circumstance that just feels just insurmountable like it like it's never going to God it's never going to be different than the way it is right now and maybe there's something that seems like for you like I don't know maybe there's something you, you just think I, can, I don't think I can ever get past this or you can't seem to get past it or you're just stuck in this one scene in your life and it just plays over and over and over on repeat again and again and again. And in these times, we're, we're tempted to just double down with our own plan. Or we just wrap ourselves up with self-protection. And we trust in ourselves and in our way of getting out of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And Paul writes this letter to this church in Ephesus. And what we read in Ephesians is Paul's strong words. That, listen, we are not left to the hands of capricious gods who duel with one another. Our fate isn't in the stars. You know, you, you don't have to be afraid that, that you need to be the one who's just carving out your own destiny. Because God is sovereignly in control of the world, your future is bound up in the loving will of the one true God in whom you were planned, you were loved, you were pursued, you were adopted, you were placed into the promises of God, a father who will never, ever, 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 turn his back on his children. So maybe you need to tell him that right now. And you need to turn and trust him with that thing. So right now as I lead us in prayer, maybe just take a moment 
and, and look to God. He's inviting you to come, not to chastise you, not to scold you, but to comfort you and care for you and listen, be with you. Would you guys stand with me as I close in prayer? Father, when I preach these words to my heart, I'm just so thankful, God, that you are in control. Father, we just bless your name that I did nothing to be in Christ. That means everything. God, would you be that for my friends this morning? Would you lift the burdens that they have? God, would there be times of refreshing for them? And my unending prayer is that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would be present when you come to judge the living and the dead. They be with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, if you want to talk, um, we pray that some of us will be out on the corners.